I don't know about you, but this is one of those Sundays when I found myself during these moments thinking of who I wanted to be here with me. And the uh, first thing I'd say is I praise God for every one of you in this room. I see love and beauty and life and hope and power in you. And yet, as this was being offered today, I found myself looking at some of those faces and saying, oh, wow, Robert Berry would have loved this. Because <laughs> uh, he had such vision for resurrection, one of our board members back in uh, the mid-90s. And, oh, Frank Eiler, I could see him walking through with his calculator saying, now, how much is this costing to have these screens? <laughs> and then he would have looked at it and said, you know, whatever it takes to minister to people, I'm for it. And, uh, oh, Chris Manuel. Wow. I'd love my parents to be here. They're in Idaho. Um, but they would have loved to have seen the life of this congregation through what was offered here. And you can think of the people who you would like to have with you. Well, here's the good news. The witness of our faith is that on all saints, those who we have always loved and will ever love are with us. We still love them and they still love us. People live forever as long as we continue to remember them and tell their stories and say their names. When someone passes, we just are called to love them in a different way. But that love is still so powerful and still so real. Some translations refer to the great cloud of witnesses as the great cloud of encouragers. They are those who have gone before us who give us the courage to live our lives in real and in powerful ways. It's that circle of life. The strength that we find in those who have gone before, those who are here now, and those who are yet to come. And I think today it's especially appropriate that as we remember those saints who have touched our lives, those daughters and parents and siblings, uncles and aunts and members and friends, we're also at one o'clock today going into the activity building and it's going to be transformed into a twinkling fairy godmother land in honor of Reverend Janice and Leslie um, in the birth of two twins that are on their way due February 2nd if it's not been moved up. So it's a circle of life, the circle of love on this day. Congratulations Leslie and Janice. <laughs> Leslie didn't stand. She really doesn't have to. You'll notice her immediately just after the service. So <laughs> I don't think I'm in trouble, am I? Maybe. We'll see. <sighs> Earlier this week, I was opening my refrigerator, and I noticed a refrigerator magnet that I'd not noticed for a while. And it says, do one thing each day that scares you. Now, for me, that just means eating something out of my refrigerator. <laughs> But I found myself thinking about how we live in a world that has a lot of fear right now. 
And the one thing I did each day this week that scared me was to read some of the editions of newspapers throughout the country to try to get a measure of, of the sort of fear that we're living with these days. And I read part of the New York Times and it described some of the economic fears and some of the worldwide fears that are happening right now. I, I read the San Francisco Chronicle and tapped into some of the fears right now about Proposition 8 in California and whether the gay marriage amendment will be turned, overturned or not. A lot of fear going on. And um, there's a lot of people who are anxious about where we are right now as a nation. And so what came to me was our saints, those who have gone before us, also faced their fears. And how did they handle their fears? And part of our great hope is that the fears that we're facing now may be different, but in many ways they're still the same. There's still the same sort of resonance that's happening. And one thing that the saints before us did to face their fears was to rely on the faith that we share today. They aligned themselves with their heritage. And the good news is that today's scripture that you have with you in your worship folder is a scripture that was written to a people facing fear. When John wrote this scripture, he was writing to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And he was writing to a people who truly were afraid. Now, when you hear what they were going through, it may seem that our fears pale in comparison. Because they were living in a time when you could be killed for being a Christian. And in fact, there are places in the world where that's still true. But in this scripture today, the early churches of Asia Minor were being told by the Roman government that they had to worship the emperor as their god or they could die. Some of them, at that moment, compromised their faith in one way or another. Some began to be so afraid about worshiping together that they no longer worshiped together. And so Paul was concerned about the longevity of the Christian church. He was concerned that the church might not make it through this particular time in its history. And the truth is, some people came to worship together and someone who they'd worshiped with just the week before was not there because they had been martyred. And so every time they worshiped together, there was this sense of fear and grief in the worship place. It was a heavy, dangerous, frightening time. And so John said to himself, how can I minister to the seven churches of Asia Minor during this time of fear to keep them from falling away? Because grief and fear can be devastating to the spirit. He was afraid of losing them. And so his hope and desire was to give them encouragement. And yet John didn't know exactly what words to say. And so he opened himself to prayer. He asked God to help give him something to offer to those early Christians. Something to help keep them alive. Something to give them courage. Something to help move them beyond their grief and fear. So he found himself in this place of prayer and time began to shift on him in a sense. 
He found himself in his prayer moving to this place that the early Celtic Christians would call a thin place, a place where heaven and earth are so close together you can hardly tell the difference between the two. And so John found himself in this place, this portal. And in this place, he began to see a vision, a vision of heaven, a vision of God, a vision of eternity and life. And from this vision, from this thin place, John wrote the words that you have in your worship folder today, words of encouragement for those early Christians, words to keep them alive. There were really three areas where he encouraged them. When he painted a picture of heaven for them, a picture of hope for them, one thing that he said to them was, this place that you can begin to live now, this heaven that awaits and this heaven that's on earth is a place of incredible inclusion. Those those early Christians, they felt so excluded. They were left out. They knew what it was like to feel lonely. And to them who were discouraged, John wrote these words. He describes a vision and he says, I looked and there was a great multitude that no one could count. A great multitude from every nation, all tribes, all peoples, all languages together. It's a vision of incredible abundance and fullness. No one's left out. I love how he describes all these languages coming together. People meeting each other in a powerful way. I think one of the things that I'm most excited about eternity are all the languages I've never heard that I'll get a chance to hear. They're talking about how many languages are lost each year in different parts of the world because of imperialism and consumerism and greed. And they're trying to document as many of these languages as possible. The beauty of this scripture is that no one is lost. No one falls through the cracks. No language is forgotten. No life is overlooked. Everyone is welcome together in this great multitude. This was incredible hope to those early Christians and incredible hope to us. I love the challenge that Dr. Cindy Love gave us a few weeks ago when she talked about inclusivity and she asked us to ask ourselves, who do we not want sitting next to us in church? That's, that's where we're called to be stretched. And part of the reality that comes through this scripture is that many, when they get to heaven, are going to be surprised by who's going to be there. <laughs> You know, um, last spring, Jerry Falwell passed, and many people on, on the left really kind of celebrated the fact that Jerry Falwell was gone. But I was very, very proud of the moderator of MCC, Nancy Wilson, because what she said was something along this line. When Jerry Falwell got to heaven, he was fully welcomed, and he was welcomed by a GLBTQIA welcome committee. (laughs) He was in for a great surprise and he was offered that love, the love that we feel in this room. He received that day. A barrier was crossed. I like to think that he was given a rainbow robe (laughs) on his first Sunday in heaven. (laughs) 
but it's a vision of inclusivity, the entire multitude coming together. That was his vision of encouragement to the early Christians. And then he offered them this vision of worship, amazing, powerful, life-giving worship, a worship where they were not coerced to be there, where they didn't have to be there. In his letter to those early Christians, John said, they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, singing, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. They were worshiping beyond themselves. It was not about manipulation or coercion or expectation or having to be there. They were there because they were compelled and drawn by the love of Christ. It was an irresistible love. That's what worship is. It's experiencing God in freedom and in truth and in fullness and in openness. Oh, their hearts were as wide as eternity. And John was inviting those early Christians into this powerful vision of worship. Worship that flows from an abundant heart full of love. So we encourage them with this vision of inclusivity, this vision of worship. And then comes the part that is so beautiful and so powerful. The third part of this inspiring vision that John had from this portal, from this vortex, from this thin place is in the second part of this reading. In this reading, one of the elders comes to John and says, who are these robed in white and where have they come from? And John said to him, you are the one that knows. They are those who have come out of the great ordeal. Who are they? Those you have loved all your life. Those who walked with you and shared meals with you and stood by you. Those who suffered from illness or disease those who suffered from loneliness or depression, those who suffered from fear, all the people you've ever loved, that's who they are. See them, love them. And then John goes on to say, those who have hungered will hunger no more. Those who have thirsted will thirst no more. The sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the shepherd will guide them to the springs of the water of life. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Oh, who did they see? Those who had been martyred for the faith. Those who had walked and loved their mothers, their fathers, their siblings. That's who they saw. And so as we read this letter from John to those early Christians, the question that comes to us is who do we see? Who do we see in that great multitude worshiping God? We know their names. Harvey Milk. Matthew Shepard. Brandon Tina. Or the MCC congregation in New Orleans that lost over 40 members in one day to an arsonist fire. We see them. And they are received. This vision of love is a vision of courage and a vision of hope. And now the question becomes more personal. Who do you see today? Your mother? Maybe someone you called lover or friend or daughter or son 
Who do you see? See them now. In your own heart, say their name. Draw them close. Because part of the beauty of this vision is it's not for later. It's for now. There are those who have gone before us who still want to love us in their own way. Sometimes it's as simple as saying, what would this person say to me right now in this situation if they were here? And oftentimes if we ask, we'll get an answer because we do live in a thin place. Here's the story of Julie, whose grandmother passed and yet continued to love her and minister to her in beautiful ways. Hear this wonderful story. Julie's grandmother had left her a bracelet. It was a delicate, beautiful work of art radiating love. As the middle child in an alcoholic family, Julie had been very close to her grandmother. Her mother had been distant, often with no time for the troubles of her little girl. It was her grandmother who had been there for her, who had soothed her fears and bandaged her knees. She had hugged and listened and believed. She had been there through the night. Julie said, Granny was my strength. I don't think I would have survived this crazy family without her. I was an adult when she died, yet I was devastated. It had meant a great deal to Julie to have this bracelet, something that belonged to her grandmother. For years, Julie had kept it in a leather box in a special drawer, worn it only when she felt the need for her grandmother's unconditional support. Then her apartment was robbed. Many valuable things were taken, and over time she had replaced them all except for that bracelet. It could not be replaced. Julie mourned the loss of that bracelet for a long time. A few years after the robbery, when she was in early labor with her first baby and packing to go to the hospital, by habit she opened the drawer where she had kept that bracelet, thinking to take it with her. Finding it gone, she felt a sharp pain, sharp as the day it had been taken. The stress and anxiety of the upcoming birth overwhelmed her, and she sat down on the bed and she wept. As she cried, she experienced a light touch on the top of her head. It was so gentle, she was not completely sure she had really felt it, yet the faint smell of Chantilly, her grandmother's perfume, was unmistakable. Suddenly, she remembered something she had forgotten. Her grandmother had given birth to 10 children, all of whom had lived, and her mother had safely delivered four. Julie felt a great calm settle on her, and holding tightly to her lineage, she left for the hospital. Nothing like this ever happened again, Yet in difficult times, Julie now asks herself, what would her grandmother say about the situation she finds herself in? Granny and I were so close, it's not hard for me to know how she would see things. Her responses are often far less judgmental and more loving than my own. Julie also finds that she feels closer to her grandmother now than when she had the bracelet. She's in my heart, she says, not on my wrist. In our hearts. So who do we carry in our hearts today? If you're facing a situation, what would your grandmother say? 
what would Chris say or Robert say? Your daughter or your son say? Your lover? What would they say? As I looked at this scripture today, I asked my mentor, Reverend Larry Urig, what would you say? What would you do with this powerful scripture? As I listened, what I heard him say through my heart was, Dwayne, tell him it's real. Tell them it's real. Tell them they don't have to be afraid of love. Yeah, sometimes when someone we love dies, it feels like our heart is getting smaller, like it's constricting, because it hurts. But tell them that that pain is actually opening their hearts. It's making their hearts larger. Let them know that their hearts really are as wide as eternity and that every person you love, tell them it expands their hearts and opens them. Tell them never to shut down, but to open up, to take time to listen, to talk. And then Larry said, be sure to tell them it's not just about them. <laughs> tell them that it's about service, and making a difference and tell them it's about being a saint and let them know that they can be saints too that, that the one who offers a cup of water is a saint that the one who stops and talks to that person who's by themselves is a saint that that one who extends themselves is a saint and tell them that all the saints of all the times are pulling for them including those we call saints who have changed the world. Live. Live fully.